Hey guys, what's going on? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out the first episode of Real Sports here on the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. What is Real Sports, you might be asking? Well, it is a new series here on the podcast concocted by my lovely fiance, Emily Anderson, the great third and girl. We are talking sports movies, both documentaries and feature films, and we're going to be covering one each episode recapping it, talking about research that we did, fun facts, some what-if scenarios, a hero and a villain. It was a lot of fun to record, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. The first one we're doing, as you could tell by the title, Requiem for the Big East. This one is one of my favorite 30 for 30s, and if you've seen it, I'm sure it's one of yours as well. I do suggest following along with the membership timeline that I put in the notes. It's also the same one. On the Big East Wikipedia page, only reason we say that is that we do cover the whole doc, which goes through the whole history of the conference, but we really dive into teams moving in and out, so this really helps with some of the confusion of when a team or a school was a full member or a football-only member or wherever they were in the timeline, especially with a couple of them that moved in and out and some left temporarily and came back. So I suggest checking that out on thunderblogsports.com or go to Wikipedia and search Big East Conference, the 1979-2013 one. But make sure, most importantly, that you subscribe to the podcast. Search The Bullpen Card on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You're not going to want to miss the rest of these that we're going to be doing. Make sure that you follow us and tweet at us, at ThunderBLG, at Third and Girl for Emily, and at Jordo9 for me. Follow us on Instagram, thunderblogsports.com. Join the Facebook group so you can be a part of the conversation and vote on the further 30 for 30s and other docs that we're going to be covering as well as when we dive into movies. But enjoy the episode, guys. Really looking forward to hear what you guys think. And here we go. Welcome to the first episode of Real Sports, presented by ThunderBlogSports.com, the newest series on the Bullpen Card podcast feed. I, of course, am Jordy Cannell, the G-Man. Joining me is my lovely fiance. You may remember her from various basketball podcasts we've done, as well as from her wonderful Twitter account. It is Emily Anderson, third and girl. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That's good. Well, this is our new series. It's mm-hmm. an idea that you came up with. Yep. Both because of the coronavirus canceling sports and also just as an idea to do. I feel like we'd probably try to add this in maybe on weekends or something if there weren't sports being canceled or if sports decided to come back tomorrow, which does not seem like they are. It was not to say that the MLB Players Association and Major League Baseball are looking at maybe a mid-June start date, potentially. Maybe no fans and just start it then. So, fingers crossed with that. But, we decided, originally, to do maybe just podcasting on 30 for 30s. And then, we decided to expand to other docs. And then we finally decided to include all various types of sports movies Hence, real, R-E-E-L, sports. You're welcome for that name. (laughs) Yes, you came up with it. (laughs) So we are starting with a 30 for 30. Requiem for the Big East, released in 2014, directed by Ezra 
Edelman. And you know what other Dirty for Dirty he directed? OJ. Yeah, the OJ doc. He won an Oscar for it. And this came out in 2014. One of the better 30 for 30s, in my opinion. Jordy was so excited to talk about this one when it was my idea to do sports docs. He was like, so we'll start with Requiem for the Big East, right? And I was like, uh, sure. Like, I don't know. I've never seen it. This was my first time watching it. But he was pumped. Yeah. I mean, so this, we'd be amping up for the Sweet 16 to start tomorrow. We're recording this Wednesday night, March 25th. And tomorrow also would have been opening day. <laughs> it's tough. Um, but, yeah, it, it felt like the perfect opportunity to do Requiem for the Big East. Because we could have done... You know, the Shack Doc, which I think is an SEC story, not a 30 for 30. Um, Five Slam at Jamma, which is pretty awesome. Or I Hate Christian Lane, or any college basketball one, I feel like, would have been appropriate. Baseball, maybe, but it's still March. It's, it's college basketball's time to shine right now. And this is the quintessential college basketball 30 for 30. There's some other ones out there. You know, rattled off a few there. So if you're itching for more and more college basketball history... Go check it out. It also gave us an excuse to finally use ESPN Plus. Yeah. Which we ordered that when we got Disney Plus three months ago and uh, finally decided to uh, dive in. There's so much time for dabbling these days. There's a lot of time. But Em, let's jump right into it. Quick summary of the documentary, Requiem for the Big East. Before we even get into a summary, I was like kind of obsessed with the title, mostly because I never knew what Requiem meant. I had, like, heard it in the name of titles of other things, like Requiem for a Dream. For the Dream? What's that movie? Requiem for a Dream. It's a scarring movie. Yes, Anyways. it is. Jared Leto. Yeah. Lots of drugs. Um, but a He re- actually did drugs. What? When he watched that. Did he? I don't know. He's a method actor. He, I doubt When he was it. a joker, he was sending weird shit to people. He used I, condoms. Maybe I, he did some drugs while he did Requiem for a Dream. I don't know. Anyways. Alright. <laughs> so a requiem is actually an act of act or token of remembrance and it's used mostly in the Catholic Church, which is kind of interesting to me considering that so many of these big East schools were Catholic universities. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a fun play on words. So we're just like remembering the Big East and all of in all of its greatness and how it felt because it's a token of remembrance because it's not great anymore, really. Yeah, so technically it's not even its own entity anymore. So We'll discuss it, and if you're not understanding what we mean by that, but it was founded in 1979, and the doc opens talking about this with Dave Gavitt, who previously was coaching Providence, and met with a number of other independent schools. There was no conference really up in the big up in the Northeast, and with a number of different NCAA rulings that had come out, including not letting the e, the ECAC which encompasses most Northeast college athletics today, and it did back then. You might see ECAC awards if you went to a school like Delaware, like Emily did, like Lehigh, like I did. It still exists, but it's not technically a conference. So Gavitt, along with St. John's, Georgetown, and Syracuse, decided to try to create a conference and invited a number of other schools that are going to sound really familiar to you. Seton Hall. Connecticut, UConn, the College of the Holy Cross, Rutgers, and Boston College. Rutgers and Holy Cross declined to join, Jesus, I can speak. And a year later, in 1980, Villanova joined as its eighth member. Seven original members. That's important to remember. 
Pitt joined a couple years later, and part of this came from the fact that football was still king in the Northeast. Pitt had an awesome program. Had a guy named Dan Marino. Ever heard of him? Never heard of him. Yeah, ever heard of him? Playing quarterback there. Uh, And to keep Syracuse, whose program was still very solid at that time, and was up until, you know, it was hit or miss for a few years. Had a guy named Donovan McNabb in the late 90s. (laughs) Never heard of him. Yeah, as we look at his bobbleheads here at the uh, new studio that we set up in in my office. Uh, But Villanova and Pitt joined Pitt to help solidify the football situation for Syracuse. And in that same year, in 1982, Penn State applied to be the 10th member of the Big East, or I guess maybe the 9th, and they were they were before Pitt. But they did not get in. They needed six of eight votes. They only got five. And the decisions were Georgetown, St. John's, and Villanova against Penn State to join um, it was long rumored that maybe it was Syracuse's fault that they didn't that they didn't vote in favor, but that was instead proven false, and Villanova ended up being the third one that didn't vote for him. Um, but Tring- Mike Tringazi, you know, Tringazi, who eventually would become Big East Commissioner at the time, worked for the Big Ten, made the comment that Penn State, or the Big East, would rue the day that they did not allow Penn State to join the conference. Now, this is important because the doc then goes to talk about the successes, and they go into a lot of depth of the successes of the Big East and the players who joined the conference, most notably Patrick Ewing, and how that really helped put the Big East on the map, along with Georgetown's eventual championship and Villanova's championship, and they really make an effort to talk about the money sharing, the profit sharing amongst all of the schools, the minimum amount of games that needed to be on television, the rise of the Big East and the rise of ESPN at the same time, and then towards the end, they go into to more football discussion. After this great first decade, they talk about how football was still looming and that because of not really having a football conference, they were just a basketball only, but they were still afraid that Syracuse Pitt might decide to leave, go join another conference. So what they ended up doing is they let in the University of Miami off a decade-long hurricane not do another 30 for 30 <laughs> um, into the Big East and then discuss a number of other schools that joined throughout the 90s. Um, we're going to get onto the timeline of it as well because they talk about West Virginia, Virginia Tech joining. There was another school in there too that's not mentioned in the documentary. Um, and they, they continue to discuss the relationship of football and the money that that potentially brought in and how in the 2000s that they ended up having a number of schools leave for the ACC, Miami, Virginia Tech, and BC, and the politics around that, and how they brought in five more, getting all the way up to 16. Uh, Notre Dame also joined as a not-football member. They're basketball and every other sport. And then the five who joined in 2005 are Louisville, Cincinnati, South Florida, USF, Marquette, and DePaul. Eventually jumps into 2013, and the fall of the Big East with Syracuse and Pitt leaving, deciding to go join the ACC after years of speculation that they might, uh, especially back in the mid-2000s in 2005 and 03. Specifically in 2003, they showed Jim Beheim quote right after him winning a national title with Carmelo Anthony of saying, you know, an all-time freshman just won a title and you're asking me if we're leaving the conference. Beheim was not very happy about ever leaving the, the Big East. He's quoted saying that in the doc. 
uh, and goes into the Catholic Seven and how they decided to form a new Big East because of rules in the bylaws of the charter of the Big East of that seven schools. If they decided to move to a new conference altogether after playing for more than 10 years, which is actually an NCAA rule, uh, could then automatically get an NCAA tournament bid for basketball. They did have a settlement with the football playing schools about its, at the time, BCS bid and what was left, turning into the American Athletic Conference, uh, ended up not getting a college football playoff uh, tie-in. They're not one of the chartering members of it. So it really talks about football being this villain towards the conference and really exploring that along with the glory of, you know, the glory days of the you know, the 80s and basketball there, um, as well as, you know, other titles. UConn won, they show Syracuse winning and all this sort of stuff. But it's a really interesting study as to the different ways of how, you know, a, a powerhouse, you know, really felt because they, throughout the doc, they, they intertwine the last... Syracuse-Georgetown game, which is one of the rivalries they really highlight, especially in the Patrick Ewing era. And they show it in the, in 2013, the very last Big East tournament, and kind of the, the reaction of the public and everything there. And, and it really leaves you on this kind of sad note. I even talked to one of my buddies who went to Villanova, Joe Mart. Uh, he's not listening because he said it would be too sad to <laughs> listen. And... and I didn't even go to a Big East school, and that was a staple of the experience of watching championship week, of even just watching college basketball in the regular season. And it's it's a bummer to see it, and it's a really interesting story to explore because you know, I knew Patrick Ewing won a national title. Um, I didn't realize he lost to Michael Jordan when Michael Jordan won a championship. But then I knew I obviously knew Villanova won. I'd heard about the Seton Hall runs and all this different success. So it was. Really, it's a really cool doc to check out and, and get a, a a dive into it. Um, Emily, what are you? What were your thoughts in seeing all of this? What did I miss of the the summary of the documentary? You didn't really miss much, um, but it is interesting. I'm not a huge college basketball person, so it was interesting to like watch this for me for the first time and like see this big conference. And um, they're like, you know, they talk about like the 84 championship game and it's like, wow, maybe I really wish like I could have even watched this on TV. Like yep. that would have been so cool. Um, so things like that. But yeah, I, I think it's good. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much else that they could have talked about too. Like those Villanova teams in the late. Let's not talk about Villanova teams. Okay. Well, one player who's near and dear to our hearts and I've, I have a bobblehead of him somewhere. It's just not in the studio yet. Zalen Iverson. He does not really get mentioned in He's there. He's not even shown. Yeah. I was shocked. I was shocked. It's funny because this comes out in 2014 when a lot of the news about Rick Pitino started coming out. Uh, I think it really, the shit hit the fan really in 2015, but he's featured in there. I thought it was interesting that they, they show a lot of Jim Calhoun interviews mm-hmm. and they don't really talk about the UConn men's run. They don't really, and it's focused on men's basketball, but obviously we can't not talk about UConn women's basketball and the fact that they're now returning to the new Big East, which is a separate entity of this Big East that we're talking about. And in their run in the American Conference of never losing yeah. a single game, regular season or tournament. Um, so everything that Gino Ariyama did in there, you know, it this doc is all about men's basketball, but it, we'd be behooving ourselves in talking Big East without uh, mentioning the women's game. But... 
Yeah, we're, we're going to jump into what we call filling the gaps because we did a lot of research surrounding this. Um, I mentioned, they don't really even talk about this in, in the doc, but Rutgers and Holy Cross first were offered to join the beginning of the Big East. They could have been schools eight, eight and nine. Both declined, which I think is incredibly fascinating, especially because of the fact Rutgers were joined as a football member in in. 91 I'm pulling it up now but then eventually joined as a full member um uh and yeah 91 and then in 95 they went full all sports um which they talk about and 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 everything and they ended up being a member until the demise of the big east they were a member of the american for a year now reside in the big 10 but that that's really interesting that you offer it then you decide to only give them a football only membership and then finally give them the all sports. Uh, they talk about Miami and how they joined in, in 1991. Then they make it seem like West Virginia joined a couple years later. But they joined also in, in 91, as did Virginia Tech. And Temple who was not mentioned at all in the documentary, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Because we're going to dive into how Temple kind of has this interesting relationship with the Big East. Because Temple was never a full member until it wasn't the Big East. And we'll talk about that. But I thought it was really fascinating that they kind of they cover these other schools joining, and they don't they kind of mention Notre Dame not joining as a football member, but joining for basketball and all other sports. Um, but I thought it was it was it was an interesting take to discuss it that way because they made it sound like these schools were brought in for just the purposes of expansion, and and they had these okay basketball programs, and you know what. West Virginia was able to do, especially towards the end of their time in the Big East. Um, Rutgers has always been okay at basketball, but um, Virginia Tech's been all right. What they were able to do, you know, isn't something just to, like, kind of overlook. And it felt like they kind of yada yada through some of these other schools joining the conference. But then we get to 2005 when, I mentioned it, three teams left. For the ACC, it was Miami, B.C., and Virginia Tech, and what's really interesting about this is that we mentioned how the doc talks about Jim Beheim really being against Syracuse leaving. They were, you know, thrown out. There was a hypothetical of some super conferences because in 2005, what a lot of conferences did, including the, the ACC, was they wanted to get to 12 members so that they could get a championship game for college football on television. And Syracuse, what's not mentioned was rumored to be that third team, which Jim Baham had no news of. It seemed like they were going to be the third team along with BC and with Miami to join the ACC. What ends up happening is that Virginia Tech urges the governor of Virginia, or uh, Virginia orders the governor of Virginia to get Virginia Tech in because they thought it would be optimal to have both schools in the ACC. So the ACC rescinds their invitation to Syracuse and invites Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech immediately accepts. Jim Beheim is happy to stay in the Big East. With that, we would have never gotten the six-overtime game. It would have been nuts if Syracuse had left then. And it could have been interesting to see some of those Syracuse teams from the late 2000s, early 2010s go up against the J.J. Redick-led Duke teams, the Tyler Hainsborough-led UNC teams, all these different 
crazy ACC teams of the late 2000s and early 2010s. Um, all the various Plumleys that came through Duke, the 30 of them or mm-hmm. however many brothers there are. Um, but th- but they end up adding those five schools and they get more of a, of a Catholic influence. And it was kind of this interesting spot that the, AC, the, the Big East ended up being in. They jumped all the way up to 16 basketball teams. Which, too many. You think it's too many? Yeah. Why do you think that? Well, one, it's called the Big East. Half these teams aren't in the East, so that's dumb. Okay. Two, it. I'm thinking of it as, like, from, like, a sports purist perspective, the only reason that they want 16 teams is for money. I mean, that's the only reason why these conferences exist at all. But I just think it's not best for the sport. So it's interesting you say that because the first, I think it was six years that they had 16 teams. I think it was either 2010 or 2011. I know it was definitely 11 because Kemba Walker did this or did the reverse of this, that the bottom four teams did not make the Big East tournament. It was only 12 through 1. 13, 14, 15, 16 need not apply to go to Madison Square Garden. But by 2011, UConn, the Kemba Walker-led team, did win the first two days before it got to the final eight, um, which was int- which was incredible to see. It was an incredible run. I remember I was in Puerto Rico watching this uh, on spring break down there. And like, well, we're hungover, just chilling in our hotel room, throwing on Kemba Walker, which is just a, another awesome part of the the awesomeness that is the the Big East tournament and conference championships in general, but yeah, they they eventually did. I think they finally. I think you're right. They finally conceded to trying to get as much eyes and television on it, which is something they really covered in the doc. And we didn't mention this, but the the vibe that changed on a dime. They showed Raleigh Massimino, the former Villanova coach, and how he went from this, you know. Blue collar Italian. Invite your players over for dinner. Invite your players over for dinner. Yeah, to having all these different endorsements, and they show him with a Rolaids commercial and talked about how he was getting fitted for you know having his own coach's shirt and and how they the Big East had this deal with Nike and all this different stuff. Um, and what ends up happening is Beheim ends up being the only coach who remains out of all these different coaches of the original eight nine. And all that. And, you know, John Thompson retires. Rick Pitino moves on. And then eventually comes back to the Big East with Louisville. But, you know, that's another story entirely. Because that's probably going to be its own 30 for 30 eventually. Or some sports documentary. Especially now that he's back in college basketball. (laughs) Um, But the different personalities that came in. Whether it be coaches, whether it be administrators, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but it was Syracuse's administration that wanted to move them so badly. Not Jim Beheim, and not the basketball arm of Syracuse Athletics. It was the administrators who wanted to go after the, these more lucrative television deals. The football money. Because of the football money. And he mentions it in 03. He mentioned it in 05 in interviews he did. And they show a presser that he does after that Georgetown game at the end of the documentary being like, hey, you know... You guys know the same. You, you, we all know the reason here. It's not my decision. You guys know what it is. And he doesn't want to come right out and say, fuck you, football. But he basically says, fuck you, football. Um, and that, I mean, that kind of gets us to 2013. And really, well, we say 2013, but it starts in 2010. So what happens in the general landscape of college sports 
was that certain conferences were still not at 12 members, the Big Ten being one of them. Circle back to Penn State. We said it was important that they didn't join the Big East because they eventually became the 11th member of the Big Ten. If you remember their old logo, there was 11 in the silhouette of the on both sides of the T. And gaining a 12th member would gain the Big Ten a championship game. Same with the Pac-10. And both expanded up to 12. Now it's the Pac-12, and the Big Ten is still called the Big Ten, even though they have 12 members. And the Big 12 is the Big Ten is is still called the Big 12, even though they have 10 members. But the Big Ten adds Nebraska, Colorado, and Utah decide to go to the to the Pac-10. They're going to call themselves the Pac-12, and all of a sudden, the ramblings of expansion start again. And the first domino to fall for the Big East was that they decided to add a new so eloquently complained about this, a school that makes a thousand percent to add to the Big East, Texas Christian <laughs> University. At least they got the Christian part right. Yeah. Uh, but TCU was set to join the Big East, and all of a sudden, Syracuse and Pitt leave. They have all these different teams that are going to join. They're going to be this crazy conference that was going to be potentially all over the country which included Boise State, San Diego State. They had talks to UCF, who was supposed to, who ended up joining the American Athletic Conference, Memphis, the same thing, SMU, located in Dallas, the same thing, and the University of Houston, also located in Texas. Uh, those four schools, as I just mentioned, joined the, the AAC and are currently members of it, along with Temple, who was set to join the Big East as a full member, and they had invited other schools to join as football-only members. The Air Force, the Naval Academy, who is an, a football-only member of the American. Boise State, I mentioned. BYU, which talks fell there because of the fact that BYU at the time was an independent and wanted to maintain the rights to their the financial rights to their home games, which if you're in a conference, you waive that right. Part of the reason why the conferences have so much money. Um and San Diego State, which I meant, which I mentioned, the conference kept scrambling to try to solidify itself, changing the exit fee of the conference from five to ten million uh, to try to make sure that schools weren't going to back out, and the BYU stuff falls through, and everything just kind of went nuts from there. And this is where the Catholic Seven jump in. For a while, they had long talked about, hey, you know what, like. A lot of us are founding members. We all have, you know, this religious aspect to our schools. And they all have one thing in common. None of them have FBS programs. So they decide to spin off the NCAA rule I mentioned before. Seven or more teams that have played together for 10 or more years can start their own conference and get an automatic bid. That's what they did. And after a legal battle, it turned out they could maintain the name of the Big East Conference and the right to play their tournament at Madison Square Garden. All they had to do to give whatever was left over the BCS bid was pay them $100 million of the 110 that they had in a pool of various revenue. And it was announced during that tournament that's shown during Requiem for the Big East, or right, right at the beginning of it, um, that this was going to happen, that this is how they were... This is how it was. This is this is how it was to be. That this was the new conference, and it 
it's crazy because Louisville ends up going on to win as the you know, the last year of the Big East. So technically, now technically, vacated has won. Which is funny because they make it seem like the game that they show in the documentary, the Georgetown Syracuse game, is like the final. Yeah, and it's not Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. I don't remember if they were a one seed or not, but they were a lot better than both of those schools. Georgetown had been and has. I think they've had a couple blips here and there. Uh, they had been on a downturn for a while. It's showing like the drama of the Syracuse of the Syracuse Georgetown game ended up being kind of. You know, non sec, non starter. Because also Michael Carter Williams. That's about yeah. It. That I mean, we can jump into. We did not add this on our rundown, but we can jump into some random players who pop up throughout <laughs> the the highlights that they don't focus on. Michael Carter Williams being one. Otto Porter, another one. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Grant. I Jeremy think. Grant. Yeah. A lot of Syracuse players shown because Bayheim's frequently shown. Yeah. Throughout the years, but um, yeah. It you know it, it still is a weird. Sits weird in you know in my stomach. It's been seven years since this happened, and in the announcement of we're going to spin it off and do this whole thing. Um, a couple of weeks later, they announce, "Hey, we were the Catholic Seven. We're going to add a few more schools." This is not mentioned of how they end up forming the new Big East, but they end up pulling in after there was a number of schools thrown out. They grab Butler, who was off of a couple finals appearances at the start of the decade. Xavier, who had been a solid basketball school for years at that point in the Atlantic 10, as well as Creighton, uh, who, you know, solid school and solid reputation. Uh, at the, at, a couple years later, they would have their runs with uh, with college basketball and with Doug McDermott and all that good stuff. But, Dougie um, McBuckets. <laughs> Dougie McBuckets, with his dad as the coach. He was the coach's son. It's wild. Then he ends up getting drafted by the Bulls. Big, uh... Big dis family reunion there. Uh-uh. Brian, my cousin's husband, worked it at Creighton, and they're all, all obviously both. Brian might be a, if he's a basketball fan, he might be a Nuggets fan. He's from Denver, but uh, he's yeah. a Pacer now. Doug McDermott is he really? I did not know that. Pacers having a lot of they've they've had a lot of former white college stars. Home of Tyler Hainsborough for a long time. <laughs> uh, T.J. McConnell. T.J. McConnell now, yeah. I mean, he he was okay at at Arizona. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, JJ Reddick's ne- never gone there, which is surprising. Adam Morrison never did. He was a Bobcat forever. Um, but M. We digress. We digress. You know, what are you, I mean, what are your thoughts on everything here with how it all divided and, and sort of this divorce between the football schools and the basketball schools? Well, something else that I think is really interesting is that. In the doc, they talk about, you know, that the Big East was all set to sign this new TV deal for, you know, 1.2. Yeah, something like that, like 1.2, 1.3. And then they find out that the Pac-10 was getting like a three, was it billion? Yeah, three billion. billion. They, they were set to get like at least double what the Big East was supposed to get. And then the Big East was like, oh no, like we're worth way more than this. So yeah. like it was all, all of this stuff like that started rumbling came out of like jealousy and like big TV money. Yeah. If they had signed it, this would have never happened. No. Or like, if had, they had signed it and then they decided to back out before it was official, I think it's what yeah. really happened. But it was all about of like trying to like one-up the next man and like, you know. Yeah. Didn't want to play in anyone's shadow because we're the Big East. Yeah. All of this stuff. And it's also interesting as they, in the doc, they put like a big emphasis on how like the Big East like really helped ESPN grow. Like, 
they were like it almost seemed like they were ESPN's like white knight at a certain point. Like that they both both of them started in like seventy nine eighty and you know, the Big East basically came to ESPN and was like, You can broadcast these games for free. Like they didn't chart they just wanted to get on T V in these like big markets that they had. And they did really well. Yeah. That's like really what how the Big East caught on because there wasn't this like college basketball on anywhere else. And they could, you know, broadcast across the country if their games were at 7 in California. They were on at 4 when kids are getting home from school. Like, this is how the Big East really caught on. And um, I was reading through the book, um, the Jim Miller ESPN book, thinking, like, oh, there's got to be a whole chapter on the Big East. They had, like, such a symbiotic relationship. Like, there's got to be all this information. There's, like, one page in the book about it. Mm -hmm. And it basically says, like, yeah, they... They both came up together, and then ESPN leveraged their relationship with the Big East so they could broadcast Big Ten basketball games, and they wanted to put them on the same night and call it Big Monday, which you see the graphic for in the documentary, but there's no mention that it was, like, Big East, then Big Ten. Sure. And that's, like, the only thing that they say. So I think that, and obviously it's a documentary, like, from the Big East perspective, but a lot of this comes from, like, thinking, like, they're the best and they need all the best stuff and all the most money and everything. And it's like really led to the downfall of everything. Yeah. It's funny you mention that because they, as a conference, they were always a consistent, the consistent top of the, or around the top of the line. Cause them and the, the ACC with obviously having Duke UNC and at the time Maryland, cause the early two thousands Maryland squads were very good. Um, but like the PAC 10 had its moments. The big 10 had its moments, you know, like the, the Deron Williams led uh, Illinois team in 03. Like they were, you know, they were up there. Um, but it's, they were, they were must see TV, but it is a very interesting point because I had no idea. I had always thought the same thing from having seen this 30 for 30, the big Monday, that, oh, that's where it came from and not, oh, it's because it was a bu- doubleheader of two names with big in it. Um, so it's, we don't want to sound like we're like, you know, trying to call the Big East out on its shit or anything. Because I, like, I'm still, it was weird revisiting it and talking to friends who went to Big East schools. Like, Greg Piatelli, who you all know if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, he went to Syracuse, was there when they decided to announce it, and it was this weird, weird moment of them leaving of, like, well, what is it going to be like after we left? And Versus me, who went to a Patriot League school, and we were adding... Two, we were adding two teams. We were adding BU and Loyola, and it's kind of oh, cool. Now we have, you know, now we have more teams. Fun, um, but it's going back to it. It's it's just weird to revisit it because the Big East tournament's still existing. It's still at Madison Square Garden. There's now the the American tournament. You know, to add another conference to it, another you know another automatic bid taken away from the tournament as a whole and the the grandeur of it. Um, but having that vibe and and thinking about what it was and what it used to be, even in the era that post DePaul joining in two thousand five, like those were the college basketball games that really helped me fall in love with the sport. This was something that, along with baseball and hockey, was when March first rolled around. Basically, from when I was eight years old, it was all right. When we watching basketball, like, let's go, and that's how. You know, I developed various fandoms and thought that's how I was going to decide where I was going to go to college and all this sort of stuff. It was because of watching college basketball and the Big East was a staple of that experience. Because even though I don't th- I'm trying to think, I don't think I applied to any Big East schools, 
but it was, you know, it was still my dad sitting me down and being like, this is the basketball that we're going to watch and not flipping over to see Duke play UNC and the, you know, I'm trying to think of a early of uh, Shane Battier play when I was 11 years old. Um, JJ Reddick. Well, JJ, that was eventually when I'm watching sports by myself, but like my dad sitting me down to like watch, you know, we're watching college basketball together. Eventually, that's like when I was fully a Duke fan and all this stuff, which Greg is a number of times giving me shit of the my fandom for Duke in high school. Um, but I, I digress. It's just a revisiting it is still this and I didn't even go to a school go to a Big East school so I can only imagine Big East alumni who are listening to this how you feel if you even felt the need to watch this if you're Joe Mart who's it's too tough you know um, it is but it's still a, a hole that's I feel like is is missing and UConn going back to or I guess leaving what was the Big East and now going to the new Big East might help fill that but I feel like Without Syracuse there, it's it's something that really, it's something. It, it, I mean, without Syracuse, it's not the Big East. Yeah, and it's hard to regain the glory. When, yeah, you know, you've been fractured so many times, and yeah, absolutely, really gotten put back together. And it's, I mean, I, I think just to f- finish on, or maybe not finish, we'll probably have more points of it. But with Syracuse, everything they show, and obviously they they really do emphasize. Jim Beheim a lot in this, but they do a lot on Georgetown, and those mm-hmm. are the big two they do, and you know the cultural identity that Georgetown was able to forge in hip hop and with with African Americans across the country, um, just playing this rough, tough style of basketball, all leading through Patrick Ewing, um, who was he might have been the first big villain of college basketball. I don't really know too much else of before the eighties, but. Um, anyway, but Syracuse was the one they kept mentioning. They showed St. John's Syracuse. They showed Georgetown Syracuse. They didn't even talk about UConn Syracuse, which was a huge matchup in the mid-2000s to late-2000s. I mentioned the six-overtime game. That was incredible. I remember exactly where I was watching that and watching every single moment of it, just not even being able to believe that this thing is still going on. And, I mean, without again, without Syracuse, it's not the Big East. You can't, it's impossible to re, to recreate. Um, and I do kind of, I think I made this point before, but I thought it was very, very interesting that there was a lot of Jim Calhoun and not a lot of UConn shown in there, especially as a member, a chartering member of the Big East. And maybe because they were the one who didn't leave, they stayed because they had football. I don't know if that was kind of the, hey, you know, Cool, cool man, but you're the you're the the family member we don't choose to contact outside of the holidays. That that sort of vibe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I do think though, and I, are there any other missing gaps that we have that we want to cover? I know uh should we talk about the temple? Everything with that had to do with them or I think you hit on it. Yeah. I think yeah, I do think I the one thing that's interesting is that Temple was set to join. They could have possibly voted on saving the Big East, um, which there was a debate of whether or not they actually had a vote or not to disband the conference, which, you know, maybe if they don't, then it doesn't. Then they don't in 2013. Maybe in 2015 they do. Um, I think, though, a huge theme, and I think this kind of gets into our personal reactions, was this 
it was both the the segregation of, of football and basketball as the two money making sports, um, and kind of how to treat it that way. Because the new Big East has this: we are going to be non football, where basketball is our main sport, along with others. And for a while, they they even had SEC schools play lacrosse in there or soccer with some American schools. So they they accomplished their goal. They wanted to get back to Dave Gavitt's original vision of a basketball conference. Um, but the other theme of it that they talk about, and they blame it more on presidents, and one that really hammers home what could have helped stabilize everything was that they looked earlier on in trying to get UCF, the University of Central Florida, to join. And the president of USF, South Florida, really didn't want another in-state team in the conference. And it's kind of this... What the? Who are you? Like, and that's where the the doc really hammered that vibe home, which I think is really interesting. Of there was a we were the chartering members. You're a football member, or you're a new guy, and you got to listen to what we want to do. And eventually, it kind of became this split. At least that's what I took away from it. Yeah, it it goes back to what I said, and it's in this big sports and all this stuff. It's just people trying to like one up people and be the bigger alpha, and like it doesn't work because this is what happens. It falls apart. Yeah, I mean, it got to a point where it was at sixteen already, and I think it's worth noting too that around that time there was talks of football conferences going higher than twelve, which eventually now we have the SEC, the Big Ten at fourteen, and same with the Pac twelve. Uh, or no, Pac-12 still at 12. Um, now my mind's rack- racking, but regardless, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> keep, try- keep trying to think of it. My brain's going to explode. But um, but the the fact of the matter is that they were talking about going higher than 14. They were saying, are we going to do conferences of 18 and have four mega conferences and have the winner and have your schedule is one out of conference game, then your whole division... Oh, and then you play the championship game, the winner of that goes to the hypothetical playoff at the time, which the college football playoff had been announced for 2014, but that hadn't really been hammered out of how it was going to work and everything. Um, especially at all of this, it was kind of still up in the air. But the way that this all ended up shaking out was teams eventually stopped at 14. They decided, and it's you still feel this effect in college football now of is it nine games or eight games that we that we want to play do we want to get a college cha- or a conference championship if we don't have enough teams the big 12 has that problem um or do we want to just do the round robin and call it a day which now they have a championship game on top of it it's worth noting that because the big east seemed to be this conference that was leading the charge of too big to fail college sports edition and eventually the ideas of we want to be way bigger, but two lanes not good enough. Which one president did say that? Of oh, I could, I would be just shocked to have Tulane join my basketball conference. Versus the ACC, who's always been very good at basketball and has had its moments with either having very competitive football or having a super team or both. In this case, it's just having a super team in Clemson, but. It is something that the ACC has to deal with on the football side of it of not having the quality competition, but the team is so good. So I, I think if they were going to try to keep getting bigger and, and maybe didn't get so up themselves, 
maybe maybe it still works out. Maybe they figure out a way to, to do it. I just think that the there was too many minds that didn't like each other and couldn't put their differences aside that really fell through. Yeah, I agree. And I think what you said about being too big to fail was like basically what I've been trying to get at is like they have this mentality, but like if nothing's too big to fail. Yeah, they kept they kept chugging along and and I think because of the fact that they didn't want to do anything with you know with football, they really wanted to keep this within basketball first. I don't know, that comes into to the next segment of what ifs. And I'll, and I'll kick it off with that of what if they did not segregate basketball and football? What if Temple joined, either what if what if Temple joined as a full football member right in 1991? What happens there? You know, I think something that's really interesting, we didn't mention this on the doc, but when they're talking about Patrick Ewing, they show one of his games against Villanova. And you and I both had the same eyebrow reaction of saying there was one game at the Palestra thinking, well, why does that matter the Big East? Why, are they, why does it matter they were playing Penn? But no, it was Villanova was playing them, and they used that, which, for those who don't know what the Palestra is, it's where Penn, it's on Penn's campus. Within the city of Philadelphia, there's something called the Big Five, which is Penn, Villanova, St. Joe's Temple, and LaSalle. And what they used to do was they played their round robin over a consecutive few weekends of all five teams played each other, so you played four games, best record, won the the Big Five. For a few years, it went away in the 90s. Now the round robin is back, but now they don't play all their games at the Palestra. Some play at home. St. Joe's likes to host their Big Five games at the Palestra as well. Um, So last year when, if you remember me randomly putting pictures up of a Penn basketball game, it was technically a Penn away game at their home court. But they show this, and they don't show Villanova on the baseline. They don't show anything to do with Nova, with Penn. It says the Palestra and the Big Five. And the reason why I bring this up is if they had brought Temple in fully in 95, what happens? Does St. Joe's join? Because St. Joe's fits the, the bill of the rest of these schools. Great basketball school. Ends up having an incredible year with with uh, the 03 team, or 04, with Jameer Nelson and, and all those guys, and now is still floating around there. They're still frequently hanging in there and making the tournament. Um, still has a fairly large rivalry, even though they haven't been in the same conference for seven years now with Temple. And you think about, you know, a lot of the Big Ten identity was like, you know, we have big, our players have big personalities, and so do our coaches. Like, you mean the Big East? Yep, that's yeah, what you're I meant. Okay. You're Sorry. Okay. Um, no, I was feeling you going into a Big Ten and then comparing and contrasting, no. too. So I got you, I got you. I was just talking about big personalities and big coaches. So you talk about bringing St. Joe's in, like you want Phil Martelli in the Big, in the big East. That yeah. sounds great. Especially the for those that, don't, that are not from Philadelphia and like wondering why we're talking about Temple University, that rivalry got heated in the 2000s with, with uh, – John Cheney sending his one player to break a guy's arm. There was some crazy shit happening there. Can you, and I can only imagine how crazy it might have gotten if they hadn't been so st- stingy, I guess, about letting Temple into it. Because Temple Temple football has gotten a lot better in the last few years. Matt, thanks to Matt Rule. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, thanks to Matt Rule. And Adazio helped, too, um, right before that. But they were not good when we were kids. They've played in the vet. There's this whole thing about 
whether or not Temple is going to build their own stadium near Temple and gentrification and a larger political aspect there. And one thing that really is not covered at all in the doc, and it's something you got to do a little digging at, it's mentioned quick enough, but is Villanova football. They had football when the, when the Big East was first formed. It went away. It was a Division One A. Went away for a few years in the 80s. Came back as a D3 program for a few years. And now, in I think 88, became where it currently resides, in the FCS. Georgetown also has football, kind of a similar situation. But they, regard, they reside in the Patriot League. We'll circle back to the Patriot League in a minute. But my point being, Temple's been a basketball school. And I don't know why you're not thinking we want metropolitan areas and you invite Villanova, who is not metropolitan. They're in the, they're in the suburbs. That's where I'm from. One of the, the rich suburb, not to call myself rich, but the wealthier suburb of Philadelphia, which people who do not like Villanova are very quick to point that out, even though they don't, even though they play some of their games at the Wells Fargo Center. But if Villanova had built a, a football stadium, does that help the Big East? Does that help save their football? It doesn't certainly help with their BCS standing, and they, I don't think they're going to be a Group of Five school or Group of Five conference if they're not, if they don't end up falling apart. And the American, because the Americans close to, they're bridging the gap a little bit, but they're still not close to getting a bid outside of UCF a few years ago. But that the political aspect there, I think, helps. They're not in American for football. Villanova isn't, but oh. I'm. I'm Talking about Temple too, I'm kind of using Philadelphia as a as a thing. But they talked about that of having these metropolitan areas. And that was a way to sell for recruiting. Of hey, you from New York, you from Philly, you from Boston, you from Baltimore, you from DC. You can play against guys from all of these different cities. And like whoa, whoa, hold on. Like I mean, I don't have to go out to to California like Lou, Lou Alcindor. Never heard of him, uh, aka Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, who did that? And he, he was mentioned in it, which is why they make such a big deal about Patrick Ewing. Um, but the fact that it was just everybody in the in the Northeast crammed together versus eventually being able to recruit, and they talk about that too, being able to get people from California and from the Midwest and all this different stuff. But it, it's a big what if of if Temple joined as a full member sooner, you know, does that change their expansion plans? Because they snagged schools from the Conference USA and then eventually snag schools from the, from the Atlantic 10. If they accelerated that, does too big to fail actually succeed? I think eventually it still fails. Yeah. You but, think it eventually... But, like, does it but become, I don't know that it, it fails because it's it becomes too big. I think that it can maybe levels out and there's not yeah. like this huge thing. It's like, okay, we have these football schools. Like We're like more selective of our members. They don't at a certain point, they didn't appear to be super selective. Yeah, like, exactly. They were just like, everyone, come join the Big East. Like, well, And that's the thing is that like West Virginia joining the Big 12 was a big hit to them. And that's a, We didn't mention that in part of the, the fallout of, of everything in, in 2012 and 13. We, we yada yada it a little bit ourselves. We mentioned, though, those names. Boise State joining, which would have been wild to see. TCU, which it was pointed out when I was researching this, is actually closer to a couple schools like Pitt, Louisville, I think even to Villanova. It's cl- the distance between Villanova, Pennsylvania, and Dallas is closer than South Florida, which I think is just right outside of Miami, to Syracuse. So it didn't end up being that crazy, and there was a rule of if that they didn't necessarily have to, and the smaller sports like swimming, track, and all that, 
that they didn't have to play as ma- they didn't have to have as many meets with Big East schools in the regular season to still be able to go to the Big East championships and stuff like that. So it actually it would have ended up working out with them, and they they end up getting the better deal joining the Big Twelve because then they have rivalries with previous conferences, but. You still have this, though, of pulling all these different schools in. You see it with the Big Ten every single year. The commercial that annoys the crap out of me. The map. The map. (laughs) They They show Penn State having both Pittsburgh and Philly, which the points made in the Requiem for the Big East. It's nowhere close to either city. It's a three hour drive from both, one way in, one way out. I don't know about Pittsburgh. I know it's three hours from Philadelphia. They show that, and then they show New York for Rutgers. Like, yeah. that's, that's not it. And it's also not the ideals of the Big Ten of being this you know, m- uh, this Midwestern conference and all this sort of stuff. Um, you could even make the, the argument of Missouri in the Southeastern Conference, or the when Texas almost joined either the Southeastern Conference or the Pacific Ten. That was also a rumor. So, like, I feel like... Kind of do agree with you, but also of, that's just what they were doing at that time. Of everybody was trying to grab everybody and form mega conferences, and maybe this was the fissure that stopped it. Of like, all right, like if they're not able to figure this shit out, maybe we just we say, all right, we've you know we've edged as close, edged up as close to the cliff as we can, and let's not fall over. But I think you brought up a really interesting point of when we are talking about too big to fail, and if it eventually still breaks up. Because it, it ended up being football and basketball, but if it was something of regions kind of all joining in together, of becoming in, in a conference and all this all this sort of stuff, do you think that it would have... You, so you think it still breaks up. Do you think it breaks up regionally, or do you think the sport still prevails? What do you mean? So, like, in this hypothetical of Temple joins as a full member, St. Joe's eventually joins... Maybe LaSalle joins, maybe Drexel joins, maybe Delaware joins, maybe Lehigh and Lafayette do, which also goes into the what happens with Holy Cross conversation, which we can have in a second if we want. But if all of these regional schools end up joining and, and this conf- this mega conference forms, does, Phil- does Temple say, because they have the FBS program, I'm still going to go with Louisville and all these other schools, Louisville, Rutgers, who both end up leaving, but all these schools with FBS programs, and we're going to do an FBS conference, and that's how we're going to roll. Or do they say, no, I want to be with the Philly schools and the PA schools and Delaware and New Jersey, Maryland, whatever, and form it that way? It's hard to say because I think, though, if you have this conference and you have this FBS program and the money is, like, within your conference sure. and it it helps build the other programs that you're that are in your conference yeah. so like then maybe you know delaware villanova they they become you know fbs football schools sure yeah. you know i mean Rutgers. Is, is delaware ever considered moving up or are they are they fine where they're at i think they're fine where they're at yeah because they're decent they were decent because I know they, they probably don't have the same like local restrictions that villanova does that's that's basically what we were kind of alluding to villanova has between Delaware County and potentially using the link if Temple were to ever leave, there's all this different political aspect to it of Delaware County will let them build a bigger stadium. That's why they've explored the link, but Temple is the, is the resident of it, and so and it would be hard to split the split the bill, even if they did Fridays and Temple did Saturdays or something like that. So that's part of it. But I'm sure Newark, Delaware does not 
care because it's all on Delaware's campus. Yeah. But then building a bigger a bigger stadium if they wanted to, that is. And the stadium's pretty big. Yeah. I think it. it uh, we'd I have mean, to I look don't think into, it's like, big enough, but it's like. Yeah, we'd have to big. look into the minimum capacity because that's like that's the big thing of joining the FBS. Yeah. Is like minimum capacity, which is why Villanova Stadium isn't good enough to be an FBS school. Um, which at one point they were talking about using. I just I just saw this when I was rereading it. They're talking about using the Union Stadium. Which I guess I've gone to Dollar Villanova games there. Football games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. That was, was fun. Was yeah, it good? yeah, it was fun. Right yeah. on the river, the bridge is there. It's cool. Yeah, not near the, uh, not near the Chester train station as we learned once. No. Yeah, we uh, quick story. Emily and I tried to go to a Union game once. Well, we went. But <laughs> we did go. We um, we took the train. We it's advertised as being right next to the train station, and we got off, and a guy pulls over and goes, "Call an Uber, right now." Drives away. We're waiting for our Uber, and it's like around the corner. And the guy comes back, and we're like, "Your Uber coming?" He's like, "Yeah, he's right there." All right, cool. Yeah, look out for us. Glad you didn't get robbed. So we end up going to the soccer game, and it was it was a good time. But as we digress, yeah, do you want to start wrapping this thing up here and maybe talk about our final our final couple segments, our hero and villain of the uh, of the doc? That works. Yeah, um, I do want to quickly just throw out my what if, and it's very quick. Of Holy Cross, if they joined the Big East right then. Do they just become Georgetown? Georgetown, for those of you who don't know, plays football in the Patriot League, and that's it. Would they just be an associate member? Does that end up, you know, how does that affect the, you know, me wondering as a Patriot League alumnus myself, of how does that end up changing things amongst the uh, the college landscape of you know, sports in that, in that regard? But we don't need to answer that question now if we don't want to, and I don't think you particularly care because you want to... I'm not a Patriot League alumnus, so, well, you're not an alumnus. Alumnae? No? Alumna. Alumnae is a group of women. Oh, that's from my sorority days. I know, yes. That's why I know that word. Yeah. Um, anyway. But yeah, hero and villain. Um, I think the hero's debatable of who they really showed as the true hero of the conference. Because they really gave a lot of different people, you know, a good light and some people some dark light. Yeah. Who would you pick as the hero um, I'm gonna throw out Patrick Ewing. Yeah. As the hero. They okay. really talk about how, you know they really talk about, you know, one how good he was at basketball. Yep. How many The high school tape that they show Patrick <laughs> is Ewing is insane. Of they just they're talking about that he can block everything. Like you remember Greg Oden high school tapes when they showed that? Yeah. Like this is that on well, I guess neither of them were on steroids. I thought it was going to be offensive to Greg Oden. It's like that on steroids. <laughs> Greg Oden just couldn't fix his feet. Had a lot of bad health. Yeah. Um, so maybe he took some some HGH to heal himself. He's doing well now. I think he graduated from Ohio State. That's good. Yeah. He might play in the uh, Big Brother Big Three. Big Three. Yeah. Jeez. Which would be which would be interesting to see. Look that Ohio State team. We mentioned Florida winning in the mid two thousands. The Ohio State team they went up against was fun with Greg Oden. Mm-hmm. That was a fun national championship game. I remember watching that game, and I remember then after that I was like, Dad, I want to go to Ohio State. And he right. was like, what? Yeah. And I was like, I just want to go there. Yeah. I didn't go there. I remember I picked in that tournament, I picked Texas to win. They were a five seed, and they lost in the second round to USC. I know that because it was from an SNL sketch. Do you know who went to... Is that Kevin Durant, That's Texas. Kevin Durant, Texas. And I was like, this guy is good. Yeah. And he still somehow didn't go first. 
Greg Oden was really good in college. It's just hard. Yeah. Well, but anyway, anyway, your, your hero is, is Patrick Ewing. <laughs> That's how we have to wrap up. Um, so we're digressing. No, it's, I mean, it's fine. Greg, this is, we were on topic a lot more than Greg and I normally are. So. Well, this is a top, this is a different podcast. I'm in this one, Jordy. Okay. We have a rundown. Yeah, we do have a rundown. Oh, Greg and I do rundowns every once in a while. It's in a Google Doc. Ours, I think, isn't a Google Doc. It has art. We do have art. You did a good job working on that, and you probably might see it. If you don't, just open your app, whatever you're listening to. Yes. Anyways. But, um, <laughs> yeah, my hero, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Bayheim just because... Ooh. Because he's shown to have, like, this arc throughout it. And you made a really good point. You made me pause it and text Greg about what he thought of Bayheim's temper tantrum when they show that one... Big East tournament game. Mm-hmm. Um, he throws a chair. He throws and he's a, a chair. Big baby. I was going to nominate him for villain. Okay, I think though they show like a, a good arc of it because they really show him defending. They show him defending his players. They show him being this stalwart of the conference of being there at the start. He was there at the end, and how for one how still there now. <laughs> yeah, he's still there now. Um, but he's in the ACC. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but they should. But like, regardless of showing those flaws, they still show him in this positive light, despite what that Boston Herald writer was trying to do. He's the well, other villain. Yeah, I, do you have his name? I do. Okay, you'll say it in a second. I forgot his name, and I was writing him off as the fifth time he said something stupid. Um, <laughs> and I also have a list of all the dumb things he said. Oh, thank God. Um, so I'll wrap. I'll wrap my hair up, and we'll get to your villain. Um, yeah, my, yeah, but I just think they showed a really good arc of it, and especially in doing more research and finding out that he was so adamantly against Syracuse ever leaving, Syracuse ever entertaining the idea, and the fact that Syracuse just went around his back or behind his back to do all of this. Like, it is this story that he that he really this dream he had and helped start ended up getting taken away from him. Mm-hmm. I see that. I just you know. I'm a. I'm, you took Ewing. Ewing's Ewing is like top dog, and I John know. Thompson's up there too. And I think it's worth mentioning. We we mentioned the the you know, ethnic aspect to it, and we're two white people, so we're going to keep this very brief. But they talk about they tried to show, they tried to make Thompson talk about him being. This is in his presser in the locker room right after winning the national title, being the first black coach to do it, and he goes, "No, fuck that. I'm just glad a Northeast school won." And I think that's really that's the lasting effort of the Big East, Yeah, I like, think. what? He's like, I'm the first Big East coach to do it. Like, yeah. you know. We haven't, a Northeast school hasn't won in 30 years. That's, that's what I care about. Doesn't matter the race um, of the coach. That, that, so that was, that was, he's probably my number two. And he's funny. The he sweater game. Oh, oh, we didn't even mention, yeah. The personality. Go, go watch this 30 for <laughs> Aren't you glad I made you do this it was the first great. one? Yeah. All right. Boston Herald writer. writer. All right. His name is Charles Pierce. He's at the Boston Globe. Oh, the Globe. My, he was, might have been at the Herald, too. He's been a few places. But um, he just really just... He's talking about the end of that 84 game, which is when Bayheim kind of, like, threw his tantrum. And he's like, yeah. Like, they threw a wicked elbow. And, like... It's like it's like maybe the, a forearm shot. Yeah, the analysis of some of the basketball, they made it sound like it was the WWF. Yeah. And like this is when like a player got thrown out and then reinst is a Georgetown player, got thrown out, got reinstated, then Georgetown won the game. That's why Bayham threw the chair. Bayham also said that Georgetown threw punches. I didn't see any punches. No. I saw like a forearm and like a like a knuckle graze just by like inertia. Okay. 
But, like, I personally really love, like, tough bully ball basketball. So, like, if anyone wants to, like, talk about, like, punches and things, I'm always on the side of, like, that's not a flagrant foul. Like, I frequently yell that. Yes, you do. Um, I can, can confirm. He also, another one of his, like, very villainous, like, bad takes was that it was partially the player's fault. That oh, yeah, he does say that. That the Big, that the Big East, East fail. Because fail. they leave after one year to go to the NBA. Yeah. If, I get blaming one and done of, like, why college basketball has taken a turn. Um, even though, like, some of the one and done stories, like, who didn't like watching Zion last year? Who, who has not liked watching some of the various teams? Which we can circle back on even because Seton Hall is having this incredible year. And it sucks that Corona kind of took that away from them. I got nothing on college basketball. Yeah, you would have if you would have if Corona never taken away. Um, But like Villanova's two championships were a culmination of three great classes and doing that way. So the Big even now the Big East still has that effort. So like to blame Big East players, you're blaming Carmelo Anthony for being a one and done. That's a terrible take. Yeah, it was just like a bad take from like a white man about these like players yeah it's just like not a good yeah uh, something's on fire in south philadelphia in our backyard that was very loud no th- we get a good we're a couple houses away from the corner and we get some good uh siren noise on the yeah. street but anyway do you have another villain um i mean the the chalk is football of yeah. just the the relation to it which is why i was trying to probe about, like, would they split by sport or would they try to keep Northeast the identity of it? And if it got to the point of PA, PA Jersey, Delaware versus, like, Western Mid-Atlantic, PA, if yeah, you like, will. Versus, like, but, like, if West Virginia, Louisville, Pitt, and... Because, like, that's one thing, too, is, like, Pitt, West Virginia, that football game, the backyard brawl, that was must-see college football TV the day after Thanksgiving every year. Yeah. Like, you lost that. Um, like, how does that end up going and... and does it, you know, does it end up going that way? Does West Virginia end up staying in the on the East Coast side of things instead of going to the Big Twelve, which is, you know, they've done fine since joining it football wise. But how does it end up shaking out that way? So that, that's kind of why I was trying to probe it of, of these what if questions because football certainly it had a dark cloud over the conference the entire time. Um, I think money, money's also another yeah, money's villain, probably but the that villain. goes hand in hand with football. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's football money. It's, yeah, it's really, the, <laughs> that's the, the villain, the ultimate villain. Um, yeah, which they they do show that doc of like of first how much money they were making in shared revenue just on basketball, and then showing the how much football makes. how much football dwarfed that number, uh, which is yeah, I mean it makes sense of the fact that Texas was able to make their own network based. On having, at the time that they started it, and there have been a couple times they've been, quote-unquote, back, that they started a network off of that just because of how much they care about it. And, you know, they challenged LSU for, what, a half this year? And then Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow, baby. Go Tiger, go Tiger. But, you know, the football money is, is king, and... It sucks that, that Syracuse ends up taking it, and it, it really does wonder the one what if I didn't say is what if Penn State had gotten in? What if, what if you know, Villanova says yes, or what if they applied a year later and Pitt ends up being the one to say yes, and then Penn State Pitt doesn't have to take a pause, and we get to see that in, in basketball, we get to see that in, in football every year, and, and we get to see it in basketball, and this Penn State's basketball program 
end up being ranked before 2019 for the first time in however many years that was. Um, we'll never know. We'll never know. And it's a, a very, it's a very interesting corner that they could have taken. Because then even BC, a chartering member leaving in 2005, I don't think hits it as hard. And you could have consolidated it. Obviously, Syracuse and, and UConn are, and, um, and Providence are so high up there that the, you know, the longitude and latitude still stays, latitude still ends up going a little higher, but you could have really consolidated it between Rhode Island and Pittsburgh and become that conference there of maybe having a, you know, Big East West and Big East East or Big East North and Big East South or Big East Leaders, Big East Legends, um, Big East Mountain, Big East West. I'm just naming divisions. Yeah, I think that's good. I was trying to, I thought it was funny and you roll your eyes at me. All right. Anything else before we wrap this thing up? I have a fun fact. Oh, all right. So, someone that we literally didn't talk about this entire podcast, but that's in the documentary, like, a pretty, a lot, is yep. Ed Pinkney, who played yes. for Villanova and was on the part of the championship team from Villanova. Yep. And I have a fun fact about him. So, did you know that he participated in the first tip-off in Toronto Raptors franchise history? I did not know that. On November 3rd, 1995. Wow. Against the New Jersey Nets. Interesting. Fun fact. Two teams that have basically traded, uh, oh no, no, they were purple, they weren't black. Uh, I was going to say traded color schemes, but the Raptors were purple at the start of their, they're yeah. running their back to purple. Um, but, you know, still close enough. Yep. Close That's enough. my fun fact. All right, well, that'll do it. Emily, what are we doing next? Um, Rodman? Yes, we're going to do Dennis Rodman. We're going to keep it in basketball, but we both, we neither of us have watched it yet, and we had it. DVR'd for the longest time. So that's our next one. Is that a two-parter? I think it's only one. It's one part. We'll oh, Vic is two parts. Yeah. Michael Vick's two parts. Um, so we're going to do that. And then I think we want to do baseball third. We haven't decided what baseball doc, but we're going to do baseball third. But we're open to suggestions. We are open to suggestions. Uh, we might bank the next two before we release them. We're going to figure that out. Because I, because depending on what we have going on with the bullpen cart, I will be back Thursday night, if you're listening to this Thursday during the day. Jared Barnes and I are doing a 10 Topics 5 Minutes, talking about a number of different things. Uh, so that'll be fun, but you know, there's not a ton to talk about in the sports world. I, there are people that have had ideas that might come to fruition. So I don't They're wanna... probably going to talk about Tiger King. Yeah, Tiger King is definitely one. <laughs> uh, if you have not seen Tiger King, I said this to, to my coworkers today at our morning meeting, uh, that if they watch it starting tonight... They may not sleep. They'll come to our morning meeting Thursday, having not slept, because they watched Tiger King. We watched it in one day. We watched it in one day, and I had plans to do work Sunday afternoon and didn't because of the Tiger King. <laughs> Incredible doc, if you have not watched that. Doc series. Yeah. Um, could this have been better as a series if they had done the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s, even as three parts? Um, It's possible, but I don't know enough about what was going on in like the early and mid nineties in Big East basketball. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting, it's interesting to, to dive into because like, like we mentioned, they barely really mentioned some of the players that came through like Allen Iverson and, and Mello. They barely reference and all I these different names. I think the real trajectory was the rise and fall and that's what they tracked. So yeah. there was the middle of the mountain that they didn't really care much about. All right. That's the perfect note to end then. All right. Emily, thank you for this idea. I'm excited to see where this journey takes us. Me too. That'll do it. Make sure everybody to subscribe to the podcast. Search the Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Follow us on Twitter. We're going to plug our own personal Twitters too. Emily is third and girl with underscores on both sides of the and. Yep. I get that right. How you like to say it? Yep. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm Jordo Nine, and then Thunder BLG is the main Twitter of the Thunder Blog, Thunderblogsports.com, where you can see all the show notes and all that good stuff. Maybe I'll start writing now that we have time and stuff. I want to read too. So reading and writing, you know, going back to basic English. Um, Facebook group, we mentioned that. Search that. The Bullpen Card Podcast. Join it. There's no prerequisites or anything that you need to submit. Join the conversation. Help vote. We'll probably start putting up polls for different 30s for us to watch. Since it seems like we have at least two months until uh, any sort of sports do come back. Yeah, Disagree with me. I'd love to argue. Yes, please. Yeah, Let us know what you thought. Any comments in the Facebook group, on the show notes, on Twitter. Just connect. You know, we're going to get through all this corona stuff, but we're uh, until then, we have the internet. Yep. And it's going to be great. But Emily, thank you very much. Let's go eat dinner. Let's go make dinner. <laughs> you can do that. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs> go Birds! <laughs>